Oh, we're rolling, by the way. Oh, we're rolling. Hello. Welcome to my first time. I'm Colleen Smith. I'm Mary Jo Smith. No relation. With us, as always, is Ian Smith. I'm here. Related to me. Not related to me. So this month's topic uh, (laughs) has been a long time coming. By the way, it's April 1st. Oh, yeah. This is not an April Fool's joke. No. This month's topic is... The first time I was raped. Hopefully Ta-da, the, last, like the time. last time I was raped yeah. as well. <laughs> God, just saying that gave me a little audio. I know. Woo. Like the idea of a second time show. I know. <laughs> just saying the first time I was raped gives me a little audio. Yeah. So this should be interesting. But stick with us. Uh, it. I don't. I don't know what it'll be. Um, okay. So we have amazing guests. We mm-hmm. have Purna Jagannathan, mm-hmm. and we have Amy Smallman. Smallman. Winston. Yeah, it's a mouthful. Uh, <laughs> I bit my tongue, so I had a weird, like, lithic. You bit your tongue just now? No, uh, yesterday. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, yes, Amy Smallman Winston. You, no relation, but uh, Amy's birthday is one day before my sister's birthday, so we kind of say that we're sisters. We always have. Right? Well, very much so. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right, so I'm going to go first. Oh, this is so crazy. So it's so funny because we've talked about doing this um, topic for oh, for so long um, that I feel like I've been ready to tell this story for a long time. But I also, I was telling Colleen a little bit earlier, I haven't told this story in a very long time. And leading up to today, I was thinking, how much do I want to go over this in my head? And not really wanting to go over it at all because I just kind of want to be present to whatever happens. So... Let's find out, shall we? Um, okay, so the first time I was raped. Um, so I was living uh, in Culver City and at my grandmother's house, and um, I sort of had this back room that was an add-on to the house. That uh, The house was like this very typical, there's a lot of these in Culver City, these neighborhoods in Culver City, like post-war, single-story, kind of miniature ranch-style homes. They're all very similar, and um, this is just one of many brown houses on a street, and very not, not nothing very unique about it. Just driveway, garage, house, etc. And then you know they moved in right after the war, and before the 405 was there, like you know long ago. And then um, sometime in the 60s, when their kids were you know starting to get older, they had added this sort of back room. It had a, um, it was like a master suite. So it was a big, big room and a bathroom and a sliding glass door to the backyard. And, um, and I was living in it. And at the time, I was in the Growling Sunday Company. And um, so I was performing on Sunday nights. And, and then traditionally, after the show, we would go out and get trashed and then go home. So it would be very late when we got home. So that's sort of like this to set the stage. So that night, that Sunday was a Sunday night. Uh, I went out after the show, and then I came home, and it, it had to have been uh, a little after 2 o'clock in the morning that I would have gotten home, because we would have stayed to the bitter end at the bar, and then drove, driven across town from, from Hollywood to Culver City. Brought all my stuff into the house, and basically just went into my room, dropped my stuff, took off my whatever I was wearing, put on some pajamas, washed my face, and went to bed. So I would say that I was probably in bed by 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, so the next, I woke up when he pinned me to the bed. Um, uh, the thing that I remember, two things I remember right away. One was I absolutely knew I was in trouble immediately. I didn't think for a second like, oh, my brother's here, somebody's trying to, you know, like my grandmother has come in or I'm dreaming. I knew 
immediately that I was in trouble. Um, and he said, don't scream or I'll kill the little old lady in the next room. So that was the first thing he said to me. And the first thing that I thought after that was, well, she's already dead. Because why would you risk waking her up? He's killed my grandmother. So, um, and then he said, he said, do you understand? And I said, yes, very quietly, I said, yes. And then he said, um, uh, he said, I have a knife. Can you feel it? And he had his hand on my head. So I was sleeping on my stomach. He, and this was the last time I ever did that, by the way. Mm. That, that was taken from me. Um, I was sleeping on my stomach. He had, he was, his full weight was on my body, uh, pr pressing me into the bed. And he had, his, um, he had his hand, his right hand, on my head when he said, I have a knife, do you feel it? Now, I felt the pressure of his uh, hand on my head, but I, I didn't know if it was a knife or whatever, and I just said yes. I did a lot of saying yes that night. Um, and, uh, and then I sort of, I had a moment, it's like, okay, now I know what's happening. Like, I'm in big trouble and, and I don't know, like, what, I don't know what's gonna happen next, but this is really, really bad and this is as, as bad as it's ever been for me in, in all of my years of living. Like, I had that sort of sense of like, wow, this is a, a pool of trouble that I never really knew I would ever step in, and it, it feels really deep and cold. Like, I just remember feeling, like, so scared. And then my next thought was, you can't go there. That goes away right now. And I just consciously shut it off. Um, and I remained fairly feeling free for the next 40 minutes. Um, so to... Uh, he said, um, he had me turn over onto my back, and um, I did, and then he, I was wearing a, a t-shirt to sleep in, a long like men's t-shirt, and he pulled the t-shirt up uh, over my head, um, so I was naked, and I had never felt so naked, ever. I had mm. never experienced naked like that. Like, I was just, every pour on my body was like because I'm just thinking about knife 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 does he have a knife does he have a knife does he have a knife like that's all that's running through my head right now is what you know where's the knife and it's dark in the room it's pitch black in the room except for um, if I turn my head to the right and I look through the sliding glass door through the backyard there's a house on that backs up against our property that had a really bright porch light on it that really annoyed me most of the time but there it was, it was like this bright light, but it was like a, like a terrible tease. Like it can't shine any light enough for me to see him. It can't shine enough light for them to see me. Like it's there and it's always been a bother and now it's not a, enough of a bother or something. Like I just was like, I had this moment of sort of remembering that light. Um, so, um, and then at that moment I, saw what I thought was a person in the backyard and a face in the backyard and then I realized that what I was seeing was his reflection in the sliding glass door. I was seeing there was just enough light coming from the door that he had sort of left ajar. It was just enough light that I could see his face reflected in the sliding glass door and then I noticed that I could see my face and then he saw me see his face. 
Like he saw that I was seeing him in the window, in the reflection. And he like slammed his uh, weight into my chest and um, he like wrenched the t-shirt up higher and wrapped it around my head. So now I'm blindfolded. And then he got something else, I think another t-shirt to tie my hands um, above my head. Um, I, all I remember thinking was like, I have to figure out where this weapon is. And I was, I was, so two things. Well, okay, so I'm getting ahead of myself. So I, I really wanted to know where this weapon was because every time he did things, he was doing things that required the use of two hands. So he couldn't possibly be holding a knife and tie my hands above my head. So where is the knife? And I was, that's what I remember just sort of like focusing on. I'm just gonna focus on finding the knife, finding the knife, finding the knife. Um, meanwhile, he's uh, trying to have sex with me he is um he's laying on top of me and he keeps saying to me tell me that you like it tell me that you like it um and i wasn't saying that and and all of this is such a weird thing all of the things that i had ever sort of read about or heard about or seen on tv or a movie about rape sort of like started going through my head like this weird microfish or rolodex thing of just like weird images sort of sliding through like I remembered a Designing Women episode where they talked about stick your finger down your throat and throw up because if you can gross him out, maybe he'll leave. And I would try to gag myself, but I couldn't. You know, like I couldn't get my hands in my mouth, so I was like trying to like force puke, but that wasn't going to happen. Something I'd read about like pee the bed or shit the bed, do something to gross them out, like that might make him go. And I, you know, I was so terrified. My whole body was just like not functioning. Um, so I was not able to force pee the bed. Um, uh, and then um, there were, like, I just, I don't remember the other things that I thought of, but the, anything that I thought, oh, I told him, I asked him if he would use a condom, and he said, shut the fuck up. And then I said, but I have AIDS, which wasn't true. But I said, but I have AIDS, and he said, shut the fuck up. So I'm like, okay, so this guy isn't afraid of AIDS. Um, so it just sort of became like, I just went into this sort of, crossword puzzle mode of like I'm gonna logic my way through this because the thing he there was one moment where he like ran his hand up my leg up like from my knee to my body and like on my face where the t-shirt was between his hand and my face and in that moment and the thing that scared me I think more than anything else was this was not okay and that I was willing to die to keep him from getting what he wanted. And it blew my fucking mind. Because we as women have all had the conversations at you know, sleepovers or in the dressing room or whatever of like, if I got attacked, what would I do, right? We've all had that conversation at some point in our life with our girlfriends or whatever. And, and it was always, the answer that was pretty much 90% of the time was do what you want, just don't kill me. I'll let him do whatever he wants as long as he doesn't kill me. Like that's sort of how I thought in my pre-rape days, how I would behave in a rape. Um, and that was absolutely not true. I was absolutely not willing to give him what he wanted and I was absolutely willing to die for it and that blew my fucking mind. And in that moment, I thought, I've just gone nuts. Like, I felt like the, the line between sanity and insanity had never been so clearly defined and that I was so close to like pushing off into crazy land. Like, 
this is it. I'm going. I'm going to go fucking crazy right here, right now. And it was so scary. And yet at the same time, I'm going, don't feel it. Don't feel it. Don't feel anything. Don't feel anything. Where's the knife? Where's the knife? Where's the knife? I had gotten a look at the clock right before um, the shirt had gone over my eyes, but it felt like an eternity had passed. And it, um, so one of the things I started to do was I started to move my body in a way that I hoped would, um, uh, well, two things. I decided that I would um, do exactly as I was told, say exactly what I was going to say, and try to seduce him into trusting me. And then I was also going to try to use my body um, in certain ways that would force him to use both his hands on me at the same time so that I could tell that he didn't have a weapon. And meanwhile, I know that I was collecting information. I knew that um, I knew that he was wearing some kind of cologne, and I knew that he hadn't um, that he was clean shaven. Um, and uh, but I didn't remember that until later. I remember when my brother came over when the cops were there and my brother wrapped himself around me and picked me up and I could feel his early morning stubble on his face. And at that moment, I turned to the cops and was like, he was clean shaven. But mm. I, I, was, I was collecting information. Um, and also, I'm just thinking, oh my God, my grandmother's dead. So it was like this crazy, it was so crazy. Um, so he was having a hard time keeping an erection because I wasn't exhibiting any fear. At least that's my theory. Like I wasn't screaming. I wasn't crying. I wasn't saying no. I never once said no. I never did anything um, that, that made it look like I was terrified. I never even hyperventilated. I never, like um, I don't even, I never took my, my pulse, but it just felt like I, I stayed very calm. I was unmoving water and that was my plan of like just stay calm and figure out a way out of this. So I kept doing these things where I was like, I was like, here, try this, and I would, uh, I, and I would say, I would say, oh my God, this is so great, and I love this, and then I would let my legs fall together, and then I could feel both his hands on my legs, like pulling my legs apart, and I was like, if there's a knife, he has put down the knife. Um, and every time, if I, if I, if I ever tried to say anything that wasn't part of his script. All he would say is shut the fuck up. So there was kind of no point in trying to talk him into anything or out of anything. It was just like, yes, oh, that's great. I love you. And I can't tell you how hard it was to say those words. Like, I can't explain it. It was so against everything in me to uh, tell him that I liked what was happening and oh. that I wanted his touch to continue. And, like, to me, that was somehow worse than what was being done to me physically. Like being forced to speak those words in his ear in the dark was somehow worse than feeling his hands on me. Um, so um, at one point, and I was like, maybe you need to like touch yourself. Like he was not, he couldn't have a heart on. So I'm like, now I'm fucking seducing my rapist. Like I'm trying <laughs> uh -huh. to get him erect enough that he Cause he was getting angry because he could, you know, like I could tell, like I could feel the shift in him. And then, um, I said, well, what if I put, like prop my, put my knees to my chest and maybe like you could get inside me better. Oh God. And, um, and he, I guess he said, okay. Or he just didn't say anything. So I just did it. And I thought, okay, this is it. Like I'm pulling my legs to my chest. I have one shot. 
have one chance to like launch him off me. Like I'm gonna put my feet on his chest and I can't see, and my hands are tied behind my back or my head, and I, and I, but I, in my mind, like this super weird thing, and I, this sounds really stupid and bullshit, but I could see the room so clearly in that moment. Like I could just see where I was on the bed. I could see, like I just had clear vision. And I pulled my legs to my chest and I said, come here. And he leaned over me and I shot my legs out and I launched him across the room and he slammed into the closet. There was a double like um, accordion closet door, like very mid-century, like slatted closet door, Mm -hmm. like, you know. In a horror movie, you would see the little slits of the people moving back and forth behind that door, you know? And he slammed into that door. And in one, like, fluid motion, I sat up and pulled the shirt off and turned on the light and saw him run. Like, just caught the tail end of him, just, like, running out of the room. And I could hear noises, and I grabbed the phone, and I called 911, and I pulled the sliding glass door open to the backyard so that I had a place to go if he came back into the room and I called 911 and I said, I need the police, I need the police, I, I've been raped and my grandmother is dead. And, um, and they, they, they had me stay on the phone with them. They said, don't hang up. And they, you know, the, the woman that was on the end of the line, like I can't even imagine what that job is like, being that 911 operator. And, um, and I was still very calm, I was still very like, I was not emotional, I was very calm, very calm, and they said, they're coming, and it was fast, it was very quick, there were cop cars, and then there, they said, she said, they're gonna come through the backyard, and you're gonna see flashlights, and don't worry, and then there, there they were, flashlights, and the cops came, and they pulled me out through the backyard, and took me out to the street, and I'm, at that point, that's when I lost it, like, when the cops showed up, I was able to sort of break free emotionally, and I just was like, a, I was hysterical, and mostly incoherent, and just like, crying and screaming and I was wrapped in a blanket or something and um, and I just kept saying my grandmother's dead my grandmother's dead and they went into the house to search the house and my grandmother was not dead um, she was mostly deaf and didn't sleep with her hearing aids on and heard nothing mm. um, and um, so we said she woke up and had no idea that it had happened and then I, I remember that I called my mom the cops were all over the house they're dusting for prints and like taking cutting off pieces of my hair and stripping the bed and swabbing my mouth and doing all this stuff and I called my mom and I said mom and my mom didn't live in town my mom lived out of town but she was in town she was uh, she had come to town she was staying at my brother's apartment that night so I, I called my brother's apartment she answered the phone and I said mom I need you and I heard myself say it and it was like I, I remember at the time thinking, wow, I've never meant that so much. Mm. I need you right now. Like, I need you right now. And, um, and I said, I, you know, I just, I, somebody broke into the house and they raped me. And, um, and then, so I don't know how we got off the phone. And then I knew that my brother was bringing her over and the cops were there and they were asking questions and taking photos. and. Um, at one point I had to go to the bathroom and, um, and they, I wanted to shower and they were like, you can't shower. And, mm. um, and I went into the bathroom and I looked in the mirror and I thought, nobody's going to believe me because I don't look like a rape victim. Like, I remember thinking, there isn't a fucking mark on me. No one is going to believe that I got raped 
Because I remember recently, right, right before then, I had seen this amazing episode of, um, uh, I think it was L.A. Law. I think it was L.A. Law. And there was a woman that had gotten um, raped and beaten. And she was just like, her whole face was beaten and bloodied and bruised and swollen and her lip was split. And she was clearly a victim of assault and no denying it. And I thought in that moment, like... Do they believe me? Like I don't, I don't look mm-hmm. like whatever a rape victim is supposed to look like. I just remember thinking, like I don't look like a rape victim. Um, and then um, my mom came, my brother came, and that's when the moment of like, oh my god, he was clean shaven, and that like freaked me out. Like oh, I'm remembering things. And uh, and then my sister came. Um, oh, and <laughs> I had told the cops like my mom is very. Um, my mom's a very big, am I going too long? I'm joking. My mom is very, uh, okay. My mom is a really big uh, personality and I told the cops, I was like, my mom's coming. And they were like, that's good, you need your mom. And I was like, no, no, you understand, like I'm warning you, my mom is coming. <laughs> and you could like hear her coming down the street, like screaming like an animal. You could hear as my brother approached, uh, my mother screaming and that was, that was not great. Like that was not the way I needed my mom to be for me in that moment. And that was hard of like, now I don't feel safe for a different reason. Cause now I brought up all this stuff. Like I have to take care of my mom. Um, and I went out on the driveway and I crouched between two cars, my car and this other car, my mom's car, my brother's car, somebody. And I was like in this little space of like, I was trying to hide between these two cars and it was so irrational and my sister came and I was like, you have to go get me cigarettes. I hadn't smoked in years. <laughs> and my mother was like, no, no, you can't have, and my sister was like, you, she can have whatever the fuck she wants. <laughs> she just got raped. Um, so, um, One of the bonuses of yeah. rape. Yeah. Anyway, I'll wrap it up. Um, they never caught him. Um, Oh, and one of the things that was so weird was like there was all this valuables from the house that were on the dining room table that was once once we had lights on we could see that he had been collecting things and up until very recently I just thought like he didn't know I was there he was robbing the house and came across me and I was an accidental victim for him um, uh, it was it was a it was opportunity not not planned but then recently Chick said I think he was already in the house when you and it had never occurred to me that he was already in the house when I got home. And that was just like two weeks ago that, she, that he said that. Re- really recently. And by the way, this rape was 1994? Four? Yeah, mm-hmm. 1994. So a long time ago. Um, so maybe he was in the house and I came home because I never turned the lights on. I was like laden down with bags of costumes and stuff and you just like want to get in. And drop your stuff, so I didn't, and I was trying to be quiet, so I never turned on any lights, and I just went to bed. He was probably in the house. Um, but yeah, I'll just, I'll end by saying, like, uh, I, I really, the thing that blew my mind more than anything else was that I was absolutely willing to die. In that moment before I launched my legs out, I just, it went through my head of like, this is your one shot. If you fuck this up, then you're dead. And that was okay. Mm. And that is like the hardest thing I think that came out of that. It took me a long time to get past that part of it. Or not past it, but like accept it. Why? I don't know. Um, I guess I just always felt like it wasn't a big deal. Like, do what you need to my body, but it doesn't matter. Like, that's not who I am. So 
do what you want to my body but it wasn't it wasn't about my body it was about my it was about my soul and my will and my like you are not gonna fucking do this i'm not going to let you do this and i would rather die i just it just went against like it's so anti as an animal like it's always about stay alive right just do what you can to stay alive and that was always my assumption that if i was ever in a situation like that that i would do anything i could to stay alive and that was not the case, that I was willing to die if it didn't give him what he wanted. And that just blew me away. Um, and that was the first time I was raped. And hopefully the only <laughs> time. Please let it be the only time I was raped. Yeah. You guys normally do clapping, but I'm not going to yeah. clap. Yay. yay! Well, yay surviving. Yay for surviving. Yay for honesty. Yay for no shame. Yay for um, looking in a mirror and being okay with... However you look, no matter what your circumstances are, that you will be believed. Let's clap for that. Mm. Yay! Yay! I'll clap for that. <laughs> so I was, you know, I, kind of similar energy as you today. Or, or, or you know, um, maybe I'm just projecting. It was, it was, uh, I was thinking about coming here and I wanted to back out for like, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of hours. And um, I, it's, it's, and it, and my, you know, my husband said, well, it, you've done it so many times. You've, you've spoken about it so mm-hmm. many times, and you've spoken about it publicly so many times. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't get easier, but I think it gets more and more necessary, if that makes, mm-hmm. you know. Is it necessary for you to, for your own healing or just necessary to like share it just because people need to know? Or for other victims. Yeah, that's what, I guess that's what I mean. I hope you're editing the pauses. Please take your time. Yeah, we can always edit, so don't just worry. Just edit the pauses don't out. That worry. might help um, me get through this. Take your time and don't worry. Um, oh, thank you. I think it becomes um, more and more apparent how, well, I'll, you know, what I wa- really want to talk about, which is so tied into the, to the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's okay. <laughs> emotional. Yeah. No, no. To the necessity of it is, it kind of goes back. I want to talk about. I, of course, I'll talk about when it happened, my rape. But I also want to talk about the first time that I decided to go public with it, mm. which is um, kind of where that necessity comes from. So it never gets easier. Never gets lighter. Mm-hmm. It, it 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 is um, kind of propelled um, by the intense realization that when you are silent, it is adding to the fabric of violence versus um, you know it's it's uh, you're complicit in mm-hmm. the violence in some way, and so. Um, I I literally only had that epiphany uh, pretty recently, which is when I you know broke and a bunch of us broke our silences. But 
um, it was in 2012, in December 2012, um, there was, uh, I don't know if you guys remember, there was an incident in India where a, a girl had watched a, a movie with her, her partner, and she was 23 and she's a student, and she got onto a bus, um, and she, you know, was trying to get home, and you know, she she couldn't get an, on a rickshaw, which is which is the main mode of transportation. It was late, and this bus swung by, and he asked uh, the driver, said, "Where are you going?" She said, um, "Dwarka, which is where she lived." And she got on with her partner, and it was a trap. You know, there were um, men in there waiting to uh, find a girl, and um, they dragged the man to the back of the bus and and knocked him out and then all of them her yeah uh -huh. and all of them raped her it was a massive gang rape and then raped her with a pole mm -hmm. and when they found her she had you know barely any intestines left but she um, really really fought to stay alive and she and her family for the few days that she was alive she fought to um, identify these guys. And she fought to, you know, she was barely coherent, but she would write testimony, she would write her story, and she would write um, whatever she could give them. Um, the cops and her parents in India, you don't reveal um, the rape victim's name, but the parents were like, this is her name, and I will not be ashamed. And she was um, it was, it was you know, they, the the rapists came from a very poor kind of slum area, but as did her family, and there were two sides of different coins, you know, two families with completely different values and outlooks. And so um, when the story hit, it was this nation that woke up the next day. We all woke up to the news of this massive gang rape. Were you living in India? I was in time? India. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. I was in India. I was in Mumbai. And it was really, um, I've never experienced it. Was, it felt like an earthquake mm. that went through the country and everyone got up because everyone had had enough. You know, it was a tipping point. And, you know, no one knows why things are tipping point, but mm -hmm. it was basically everyone in, you know, the statistic is one in two, one in two children experience sexual violence in India. One in, oh. So one in two boys and one in two girls. It's part of our fabric in many countries. In America, it's one in four. One in four, four one women are five, raped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's very much the fabric of our lives. And what had happened that night caused a major tear in that fabric. And women who had never spoken about their stories came out. Journalists started articles with their own story mm. and things just shifted. And things were still shifting from that incident. Um, but in, in all that um, coming apart, and, and you know, and everyone was kind of coming apart. Everyone, everyone had to come to terms with the brutality of what had happened. Um, you know, they, they threw them out of the bus and tried to run over them. You know, she survived everything. Um, 
And uh, they had just seen Life of Pi, and it had just come out, and all of us had just seen Life of Pi. And I lived across the, as a girl, I used to live across the street from where she was picked up on the bus. And it's the, you know, it's a route I've taken a million times, and it's the neighborhood, and like all of us have been that girl on that, you know, on that route. So really it was, you know, a nation coming undone, and a nation becoming conscious in some way. And really that feeling of, fuck this shit, I've had, we've had enough, like, fuck it. Mm -hmm. So then, you know, slowly the protests started, and they wouldn't end. Um, and in all that, there was kind of the deep realization, you know, that, that epiphany that I had been, been silent for so many years, but because all of us remain silent, um, the violence continues because no one, no one is accounted for, no one says anything. The, um, you know, if you if you ask um, the men who love us and the men who 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 you know the good ones, they have no idea of what's going on. So in India, like you, um, for many women, if you walk to the, to the you know to the bus or to the train if you walk if you're walking to school if you're if you're even even if you're in a car you'll there's a huge chance of sexual assault you know when i was going to high school in india i would say probably something happened every day there was a, a sense of an assault every day someone flashing me someone grabbing me someone touching me got on the bus someone grabbed me someone touched me so it's an all-day everyday thing wow <clears throat> that um that has gone unspoken for you, for centuries, right? And suddenly this thing happened, and um, I did. I felt like my silence made me complicit mm -hmm. in the violence. And you know, that's where kind of the journey to to begin telling the story began. I um, I'm an actor, and so. I had seen this play by a playwright called Yael Farber, where you had actors on stage, but they were telling their own story with apartheid in South Africa, and it was a very powerful medium. Colleen, you, you ended up seeing the play that I'm talking about. And so um, in that, we, we uh, I definitely, everyone was feeling that everyone was ready to tell their stories, because um, we had no weapons. I mean, the, you know, it's so bureaucratic and the police and the police is trying to shut down the protest and the only weapon you had was your own story it's the only thing you have right it's the only power the only thing that you possess and so um Yael came to India she lives in Montreal really one of the most brilliant playwrights ever and she uh, began crafting and putting together a play that has survivors of sexual violence and gender-based violence come forward and tell their stories. And um, it was, uh, so, it, it, you know, we've, we've, we've um, I speak about uh, my abuse as a child. There's another woman called Priyanka Bose, also um, raped as a child. Um, when you saw it, there was a woman called Sapna who was um, gang raped, but in Chicago. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to locate the stories in different places other than India because they're happening everywhere. We had a wonderful woman called Sneha Javale who um, 
got married and you know there's a dowry system still in India where you give money to the husband and he wanted more and she didn't have it and so he wanted to murder and he set her on fire oh. and she survived that and she's telling her story um, um, we had Ruk Ruksar who's um, very very famous actress in India but when she was younger she got married off at 17 you know she got married off and she had these two kids and she experienced marital rape all the time and she just wanted to end it to end her life and she um, she at, at some point came to consciousness and knew she had to run but also knew she couldn't take both her kids and especially knew she couldn't take her son oh. uh, so she you know the they're, they're babies, and she, she leaves one behind and and runs away with one, you know? With the daughter? The daughter, yeah. uh, who toured for most of the time with us as well. Um, and in Canada, Sapna uh, left in Canada. We were joined by um, Pamela Sino's story, similar to yours in that um, someone broke into the apartment, and it was a very, very um, harrowing ordeal where I think one of the biggest, you know, what you say you can live with, one of the things that I, you know, all the stories have their own intricacies and, mm -hmm. you know, the, the her stories that everyone heard. Mm -hmm. He crashed open the door. He broke open the door and everyone around heard, but they did nothing. Didn't do anything. Did nothing, you know. And so, that, so what are the parts that um, affect us and what are the parts that are kind of out of, out of control and yet affect us? You know, what are the thoughts that we think? Um, and you told your story in the play? Yeah, so we all kind of told, we, you know, it was, it was really a breaking of the silence, a breaking of, of telling stories that were never told. Um, and so, I, and I tell my story of being raped at nine. It was a neighbor and he was... Nine. <clears throat> can't, I have a child and to like, hear that. No, I, I, on. yes, and you know, it's... I have a 10-year-old, and he's a boy, but he looks a lot like me, like in terms of build, and really just, it's such an important thing to see a 9-year-old, you know, that, because they, because for years you you just, um, there's there's a huge part of uh, the story that I'm I'm very aware of not blaming myself. Even when I was a kid, I just knew was, that guy was totally fucked up. Um, was it like a family friend or neighbor? Neighbor. <clears throat> neighbor. He was, um, we were, my father was a diplomat, so we were, and he was kind of in the Air Force, like Indian Air Force. And he, um, you know, we were just neighbors. And, um, you know, the first time I remember it so, so clearly is my parents are sitting outside. My mom says, go see all the medals he's won, go see all the trophies, because he's, like, he's such a decorated Air Force officer, you know, one of India's best Air Force officers. And I just, and, and you know, it's so, it's so important, because now I, I do that for my son. I, I listen to every instinct he has. Mm -hmm. That I walked, and there was a really heavy blue curtain, a velvet curtain that we passed. And I remember the curtain talking to me like I could feel it was a deep navy curtain and there was a feeling of don't don't go past that point it was just weird and they were outside and he takes me and he shuts the door 
and he kisses me and they're literally outside. This is the first time I've met him. And, um, and he just says, this is our secret, okay? And that's it. I know that's the beginning of like a journey that lasted for a year and a half until we moved. And um, how often would that happen? Mm, it's hard for me to understand how often it would happen. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I know. I know the time frame. I know it was a year and a half because we moved after a year and a half, and he may have come in later. Right. I think they moved in later, so it may have only been a year. I'm not sure of the time frame. But you know, I, I talk about this in Nirbhaya. It's 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 sexual violence, sexual abuse and rape is so complicated as it is and um to separate you do you you know, you it took me a very long time to not even feel complicit in the in the rape, in 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 the thing, because you know, and I have this in the play, which is the hardest part to put in, which is my enjoyment of it as well, and the complicitness that creates, um, and that's a part that's shocking and that's not spoken about. But when you're a child, it's 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 just your body reacting and nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. And also, you and probably felt special in a way. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's complicated. It's so complicated. Um, well, it's, you step into this weird void, right? Like, there's no reality here that matches this. So there's well, no there's no. It. Well, mm. there's also so many reasons to stay silent, including that the complicitness of partly hating it and partly enjoying some of it, and you know, it is uh, it is twisted, and therefore unraveling it is very complicated, yeah. you know? Um, and stringing a narrative that is true and makes sense and not being ashamed of, like, this was the part of the narrative that I fucking hated, you know? <laughs> like, oh, it was gross, it's, it's, it's gross. The part that, that you got pleasure from. Yeah, right. exactly. Well, and at that age, how would you, there was no concept. Where, did your parents ever talk to you about sex when you oh, were Oh, I mean, nine? they still haven't. I'm still waiting for that conversation. <laughs> I know it's coming. They say it's around the corner. You have a child, so they yeah. know you had sex. Yeah, exactly. That's, it's a, it was also extremely cultural. Like, we never spoke about this stuff, you know? So, as an adult, kind of speaking, you, the play allowed each of us to string pieces together mm. into a narrative, into a linear narrative, when it's not linear. But at least having a story gives you a spine, a sense of a spine of, of something that you start building uh, your understanding around. And so, you know, we performed this um, when Colleen saw us in Edinburgh, and it... Um, it was, it, it was, the, oh, we first opened in, in India. We first, we didn't wow, open in India. Uh, unbelievable. It was unbelievable. We didn't open India. We had a preview, a one-show preview in India. And then we went to London. And we did a kind of, we ran for six days or something. I would imagine that, because I, I wrote an essay about this once a while uh -huh, ago and uh -huh. read it. And um, I had so many people come up 
afterwards and say, that happened to me. But they've never been able to express it. And so I can only imagine that you allow so many people to speak. I mean, the woman on the bus started the conversation, yeah. but, but all of you that participated in that. Well, what is fascinating, there's such a, a huge narrative that I carried that this, you know, the, the major trespasses to my body had mm -hmm. happened in India. And so there was a narrative that I carried that it happened in India. Mm -hmm. And then when we start performing it outside, mm -hmm. that narrative dissolved yeah. in about a second. Because after the play, um, you know, there was... Puppet Up was right after us. Like, we oh have God, to. that's so crazy. Yeah. Nothing like dirty puppets after a race. <laughs> I know. We'd have to evacuate the premises in no time. Um, but we would notice. Um, I always wanted a, a talkback component to it. Like, mm -hmm. I knew I wanted that, but we didn't have that. We didn't have that. And so um, what ended up happening is we just came out and then downstairs to wait for the audience. Mm -hmm. And then each one, like there was, it was a 600 person theater and each one would stay and share their story. Wow. You know, each one we'd, some people would like come back multiple times, some people write us letters, some people just left us things. It just became this place where people, and it continues to be whenever the play is performed, it continues to be a place where people stay after and the play begins when it's over it begins when when we're done when we've told our stories and then it's the audience's time to share theirs wow. what's the name of the play? it's called so oh my god I'm so sorry it's called Nirbhaya and it was a name given to um, Jyoti Singh Pandey which is the woman on the on the um, on the, who's raped on the bus oh, and it means Jyoti and you're not allowed to reveal her real name, so the press named her Nirbhaya, which means fearless one. Because mm. she fought, and she stayed alive, and she fought to stay alive, and she fought to bring, um, bring her perpetrators, you know, to account. And so the play is called Nirbhaya. And, you know, when we did perform it in India, we, um, we, I still remember, we opened to a thousand-seat theater, and there were these rows in between the aisles, and there was a mic at the um, at the mm. end that people could just come and uh, talk. And the lines were just wow. we we would stay for three hours after the show because the lines would just people just come and tell the stories. And you know, many people were breaking their songs for the first time. And also, you know, and also for me, for me, like to understand, um, like any type of trespass. Like, so, so, you know, so that when I was nine, that happened. And then continuously throughout my life, there's been, you know, there's been trespass on my body. There's been a touch and there's been a grope and there's been that. But I've always um, written it off at saying, this is the price you pay to be a woman. This is it. This is what happens, right? And so really the, the consciousness of this is not okay mm -hmm. and it's it just it has to stop and it's 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 it is my body and you have no you know you have n no business coming anywhere near it or near me without my permission and those are the stuff that I had to learn to articulate like it is what happened to me on a bus was sexual assault it's not in India they call it eve teasing which is um you know, they, what happens is society starts using words that are 
that are less potent than what it is yeah. to dilute stuff. Sure. Um, and many women will experience what is called Eve teasing, and and you know when is when it the Eve like Adam and Eve. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It must be like kind of New Yorky cat calling, or you know, just yeah. oh, it's harmless. It's harmless. It is. Everybody right? does they it. Say. Yeah. So terms like cat calling or Eve teasing diminish the intense fear that comes along with it, trespass that you feel, um, you know, it diminishes the words are, that are used. So it's also learning to say the right word with, um, yeah. with what happened. Mm -hmm. And that was a huge breakthrough. Like I'd always say, um, you know, at the end of the play, it's that we all say kind of our names and we say our parents' names and we say, you know, what, what kind of happened to us as a way of, of just declaring that it's um, to move the shame from the survivor to the perpetrator where it rightly belongs. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, me and Priyanka, the girl, would always say sexually abused because we weren't ready to step into the word rape. Um, and the word rape wouldn't even have, have been appropriate because India didn't recognize what had happened to me as rape until um, probably 2013. Cause in my memory, there was no penal penetration. But that changed in 2013. Um, Your memory changed? No. no. The law, the law to, like, right. to any, any sort of penetration uh, is rape now. Yeah. And so being able to say the word yeah. that fits, you know, you have to have a word that's potent enough that fits your experience. The idea that a, an adult man can do anything to yeah. a nine-year-old girl and for someone to be like, well, he didn't put his penis in, so yeah. it's not right. Like, yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> it, it's nothing, actually. Well, I have a 12-year-old daughter now, and to think that anything like that would happen to her is yeah. beyond, beyond my comprehension. At what point did your parents know what had happened to you? So... I don't think I ever, maybe my mother told my father, but I didn't tell him when he was alive. Um, but I told my mother in my 20s. Um, I went to a, I, I used to get this like stomachache at 5 a.m. every fucking morning for years and years. And then, you know, we like, I had a stressful job. So we're like, okay, it's ulcers. And I went to my doctor. She wasn't there. There was like a Dr. Goldstein it was like this, you know, tiny guy. And within two seconds, he's like, uh, were you assaulted? Like within, literally within two seconds of a diagnosis. But this is when you were an adult. In twenties. Yeah. Uh, I said yes. He said yes. It's very. You have no ulcers. You have nothing. There's nothing wrong with you. But you know, it's a very common symptom to have a stomachache that's lingering. And I again, it's like I had built this amazing life, and I'm like this. You know, it's 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 so contrary to the like I had in my mind processed, could process what had happened, mm -hmm. but the truth is you can't and your body processes it for you in some way and mm -hmm. stores it and holds it and you know, the bellies are where women keep our secrets and it's where, you know, we're strong. Body memory, you body know, memory. Very yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so, you know, I remember that night I did I called she was in India, my mom, and I called her and I told her for the first I mean I told her a little bit, but I told her, you know, I I I told her and then slowly I start telling my partners um, really quickly uh, that it happened. 
but kind of you know the 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 process, uh, the, the process of what does it mean to tell your story? Mm-hmm. What does it mean? And the only thing we can do is own our narrative. Like that's that's it, you know. And it's it's significantly shifted, you know, who I am. It's significantly um, kind of, you know, I, I my, my name is Purna and it means complete. And someone just asked me that, like, the, and she. Like a week ago, she said, "Are you? Are you? Are you that?" And I said, "I am. I'm that." Are we? Are we ever complete? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, but I I feel like because I added this part of my narrative in, I it's I have a complete narrative at least, right? And like it's it's still it still remains a journey. It still remains a story that um, you explore, but it's it's still me. Yeah. Mm. Thank you for that. There was. I'll clap for your Wow. And wow, thank you for sharing that. Of course. Okay, Amy. Amy. Bring us home. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) My first and hopefully only story of being raped. Yes. Anyway. I grew up in Indiana with a family that never spoke of sex. No one, I never heard it uttered in my house. I never saw any sexual things. If my mom and I would be watching like an HBO show and some kind of sexual thing would come on, my mom would go, oh, that's a porno. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be like, oh, like sex was like pornography. You know, it was like, it was very, I was very closed about it. But also my dad was a, um, deacon in a Baptist church, but really sweet and wonderful and not judgmental. But sex was for marriage, you know. And I was already kind of already a bleeding heart liberal, even though I grew up in Indiana. But I was like, well, I won't wait till I get married to have sex, but I will wait till I love someone. Now, of course, that didn't happen in high school <laughs> for many reasons. A brace being one of them. That's, that's a whole nother that fun a story. Like an awesome. Any John Hughes movie will tell you. But doesn't my my sweater cover it? <laughs> anyway, uh, so but I did have a very strong sense of I will love someone, you know. Um, and then I moved to New York City to um, go to acting school out there. And, uh, you know, I met all these great actors and whatever. And it was all great. And I would date here and there. But I was always like, mm, no, they're not going to be the one. And it didn't have to be the one I was going to marry. But like I said, I had to love them. Um, and then one night, um, I was tw- I was 20, almost 21. I think I was going to be 21, like, in about a month. And I still, of course, had not had sex or really even gotten that close to having sex. Um, But we went out one night with my friend, um, a gay guy named Clayton, and we went out. And I don't know why he chose to go here with me, but we went to a place called the Raccoon Lodge, which was, like, a very hetero, very, like, aggressive male place, you know. It was, like, there were, like, animal heads on the walls, very wood, very, like, shot specials, you know. (laughs) So, but we went there, and it was, like, you know, there were 
lots of cute guys. And, and that was, was it wasn't like decorated that way ironically. Like that no, was it was like because thing. that was classic. They killed those things and put them exactly. on the Exactly. The raccoon lodge. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, my friend and I went there and he and and like I said, he was like, Oh, this isn't really for me, you know. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> No, did you think it would be? <laughs> But uh, there was a guy I had kind of known that was meeting us there. And uh, I guess I shouldn't say his name, Charlie Pope. Let's just call him Charlie. I have no idea where he is. I've already checked Facebook. So, uh, But anyway, he was probably, I was, like I said, 20. And he was probably in his 30s at that time. Um, but I barely knew him. and uh, But he was there, and, and we had been drinking and then they started passing around jello shots and you know i don't know uh, this audience knows what a jello shot sure. is correct <laughs> uh, so anyway uh you know charlie was like hey have a jello shot have a jello shot and you know they taste like candy you know like, that's delicious that's delicious and my friend was like looks like you guys are having fun i'm gonna go to west you know the equivalent of west hollywood the village yeah. <laughs> We are in L.A., um, but this was in New York City. And um, anyway, I was there with that guy for a while, and he kept pushing drinks on me. And at a certain point, I got very um, out of body. I don't know how to put it. I was like, all of a sudden, it was like, please, this must end. I wasn't having fun anymore. I was like, I've got to get home, right? And whether he put anything in my drink or not i'll never really know but i always was like well i did willingly have those jello shots and whatever but i was like i have to go home now and he's like oh okay i mean i have to go home now and he's like okay and he kind of like took me out of the bar and he waved down a cab and i was telling him my address and he's like, that's too far away, which it wasn't that far away. And he's like, you just need to come to my place and lay on the couch because you don't feel so good. And I was like, oh, okay. But I was like so out of it that I, my resistance was gone. I was like, I just have to lay down. I don't really care where it was. And this guy who I didn't really know was like, taking care of me, quote, unquote. And we go to his place, which wasn't very far from there, and it was like a, a one-story walk-up. So, you know, he was practically dragging me up the stairs by this time. And um, then we get into his house, and I just remember he had exposed brick, and I was like, that's nice. <laughs> she don't even need it's like the last remnants of... Mm -hmm. consciousness yeah. so I was like that's nice he's like okay you just lay here on the couch he's like do you want anything else to drink and I'm like no I want to sleep right so I laid down and the next awareness that I have he was basically on top of me you know and and I was like oh my god this guy is like on, I mean, it was so surreal. I was like, this guy is on top of me. Oh, my God. It was like, but I could barely move. Like, I was either so drunk or so 
something something medicated, medicated yeah. what have you that i literally couldn't push him off because i'm a strong girl you know but i was like what's going on and like the next thing i know it's like he's pawing at my breasts and whatever and and i and i had just literally been asleep and the next thing i know it's like my underwear off and i'm like oh my god he's gonna have sex with me i I'm saving this, you know, like that was all I could think of was like, I don't love you. I don't even know you, you know. I know you have an ironic name named Pope and you're getting ready to like have sex with me. So it's like the next I know then he's inside me and I, it kind of hurt. But like I said, I was so whatever, I was so out of it that it didn't hurt that badly, but it hurt my soul because I was like, Oh my God, I don't love him and now it's over. I lost that, you know? And I was like, oh God, and it felt so gross. And I, I was just laying there and he got off of me and as if it was nothing, as if it was like, we just had sex, like as if it was like a good thing. And I was like, um, I have to go to the bathroom, you know? So like I kind of nakedly walked because he had taken my clothes off to the bathroom and I go to pee and then I wipe myself and I look and it's all bloody. And I was like, oh, that's my cherry. <laughs> you know, it's like, it was a horrible thing, but it was also like, I didn't realize that was real. Like yeah. I, you know, I knew so little about sex. I was like, when people were like, oh, burst your cherry. It was like, I didn't really understand. I was like, my cherry is burst and I'm like oh god and I just like flush it down the toilet flush my cherry I guess <laughs> and I see he has like t-shirts like overflowing in there and I like put one of his t-shirts on because I'm modest you know and this, I don't know this person so like I kind of stumble out and he's like hey we can go to the bed now as if like that's like this Next great thing and uh we went into the bedroom and you know he was like trying to cuddle me and like were you, you know. still feeling out of it oh like well i was still very I, I was in shock yeah but i was also still very either inebriated or drugged i'm not really sure which probably a combination of both but who knows i can't say that he drugged me i don't know which is you know part of my guilt that set in real fun later. Mm -hmm. So I essentially pass out and I wake up the next morning and I look over to the side of me and I'm looking in the strange room. He's not there. And I'm like, oh, I was somewhat relieved, but I was still like, what's going on? Like, you know, I didn't oh, yeah. know how to feel, you know, and I'm yeah. like, I had no underwear on, just his t-shirt and I'm like where's my underwear you know just weird things like that that you're like stumbling through I go back into like his living room with the exposed brick <laughs> <laughs> and I find my underwear and I pull my underwear on and I'm like what the hell is wrong with you why did you do this I was like really mad at myself I wasn't mad at this person at all which is strange but I guess it isn't strange yeah. the more I've talked about it it's not I was like, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I did that. And then I see a note, like, by the phone. You know, there weren't, like, cell phones then or anything. And he's like, 
when you get up, call this number and let my assistant know that mm. you're leaving and they'll come lock up yeah. Charlie. And I was like, oh, I, I mean, I couldn't have felt more repulsed about myself, about the situation, about like, obviously he's done this before that yeah. someone has to like come lock up, you know? So I was like, damn. It's like, who is this person, you know? And I'm like looking around through things, looking in the refrigerator, and finally I look in these cabinets and I see, no joke, like 25 cans of tuna. <laughs> That's it. It was just cans of tuna. And I was like, why would someone have that many cans of tuna? <laughs> like, I mean, like that was what I was thinking about as I'm hobbling around all bow-legged and shocked and shamed. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna take one of those cans of tuna. <laughs> he took my virginity. I'm gonna take the can of tuna. I'll show him. I've never stolen anything in my life or whatever. It was like I wasn't looking around for like a watch or anything. I'm like that tuna. I'm gonna take it. And you know, I was broke too. You know, living in New York. I'm like, yeah, I got his tuna. He had my virginity. I got his tuna. I went and put it in my purse. I was like, yeah. I got it. And I'm like, I guess I have to call this person. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> right? And of course, I didn't. But that's the good girl yeah. in you. I'm like, I can't leave this place unlocked. Yeah. Exactly. Even though I just stole tuna. So I call up. And Jesus would forgive me. It was so embarrassing. I hope he would. I know he does. Yeah. Uh, so I call up and a woman answers who's obviously like his assistant who he's already probably told her to expect my call and probably it happens a lot is what I'm thinking yeah because her voice was like I'm like hi this is Amy she's like you're at Charlie's apartment <clears throat> and I'm like yeah um we'll send someone over to lock up could you like wait five minutes at least before you leave oh and I'm like okay <laughs> I hung up the phone and I was just like standing there for a little while and then I sat down on his, you know, like, futani couch. And I'm like, why am I sitting here? Because I said I would. Right? right? I said I would wait. And such shame and horror. I, I walk out into the light of day, and I just feel so dead inside. And so, like, I broke a promise. You know, mm -hmm. that I would love someone. And then I felt dumb that I drank. And then I felt dumb that I... Everything I did, I felt ashamed about. And I took a cab back to my place. And I took the tuna out of my purse when I got home. And I put it on a shelf where I could see it. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. I just put it up there. Mm -hmm. But the interesting thing was... After that, I didn't care about loving someone or about my body or sex or anything. It was like, oh, well, you like me to have sex with me now. It, like, it didn't matter at all. Yeah, he took more than He charity. took, right, <laughs> he took more than, like, my virginity. He took my self-worth. He took everything that I had held so dear for so long and it made me very hard, you know, in that way. Mm -hmm. And 
I remember it was like for at least a year after that, I had several sexual partners since then, but none of them meant anything. Like there was no relationship with anyone. It was always just a sexual thing to me. And, and I didn't enjoy it either. I don't know how to explain that. It wasn't like sex was no, I was like, yeah, that's what you want. Go and have it. Right. It didn't, you know. Reenacting. And I guess, perhaps. I, uh, it's one of those things you're not really aware. Like, whatever happened there altered my feelings about my body and my sexuality and my enjoyment of sex and everything for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. And about a year after that, that tuna still set up there. And I, One time I came home and I looked at that tuna after about a year and I was like, I'm going to eat that tuna. <laughs> but it was just a really strange thing. And I just like got the tuna down and I opened it up with the can opener. I opened it up and I was like, I'm not even going to put mayonnaise on it. I'm just going to eat it like an animal, you know. And I took a fork and I ate it. And I ate it very angrily. Like, oh, I'm eating this horror away, you know. And I ate it all, the whole can of tuna. And it was very cathartic, and I threw the can away. And I was like, I have to get past this now. Like, it was like that point of like, I have to move on. I think I still to this day carry those things. And, you know, I'm, I'm much more aware now mm-hmm. of, of what happened. And I've, of course, gone to therapy, and I've done all those great things, you know, but it did alter. Of who I am in the course of my life. Luckily, I, I found a wonderful man, and I'm married, and I have two kids, but I do have a son and a daughter now. Mm-hmm. And my son is 15, although, you know, he definitely thinks about sex. It's not on the horizon, let's just say that. <laughs> but I, I did... Don't listen to this podcast. Uh, but I did tell him about, not the details of the experience, mm-hmm. but that I was technically date raped Uh because I did own that then like it wasn't a stupid decision on my part yeah it was a stupid decision on my part I will say that or a a young decision but he had no right to do what he did yeah okay and I know that now you you may not have been it doesn't sound, you certainly weren't clear-headed, and whether it was, it was not, just alcohol or not, it doesn't matter. It wasn't no, right. Yeah, you can go, and you should be able to sleep on anyone's couch. Right, yeah. and and and, and there should be that kindness or whatever. Yeah. But I, I yeah. told my son that story because sometimes I think they think of sex and all these things as like just, oh, you know, it, it's fun, it's great, it's whatever. I was like, I have to tell you what happened to your mother. Yeah. And, and how it affected you for the rest of yes, your life. Yes. I said it's not mm-hmm. just a one-off. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and I think he was shocked that I shared it with him. Mm-hmm. But it did make a difference, I think, to him. And I think when he does eventually have intercourse with someone, it will definitely, if nothing else, if love isn't there, which I would love it to be respect. for him, it will have respect and it will have it will be a mutual decision, yeah. you know? And my daughter's 12. She's very, very, very innocent right now, you know? Um, but when the time comes, I'm going to share it with her too and pray that, you know, she doesn't run into someone 
like this guy. Charlie Pope. Charlie Pope. Charlie Pope. Um, not saying any names. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yay! Yay! <laughs> no, joking. I'm joking. I can't no, tell. Yay, you can't sure. see my sarcastic face through the podcast. Yeah, go back and listen to it. Every time Amy says, yay, rape, she's being sarcastic. Yeah, sarcastic, <laughs> sarcastic, sarcastic. <laughs> wow. Ian, do you have any questions? Yes. When, Amy, did you register that that was rape? That is a very interesting question. Because the shame was so great. And I wanted to live in denial of it. I remember the first person I called after it was one of my dear friends. And I said, well, it's over. You know, my friend, my friend Paula and Lou, I said, I'm not a virgin anymore. It's over. Right? Like, okay, there it was. It, I wasn't able to acknowledge it as Grieve it. a rape because it was too humiliating to me. Um, I think it took at least six months, probably, of... During that year. Uh, yeah, yeah, of whatever that was to, like, go, well, that wasn't really my fault. I, I wasn't really to blame for that. And did you run into that guy? Ever no, again? I never saw that person again. Did you look for him? You said on Facebook, yeah. Well, I, I have since uh -huh. uh, Facebook existed, which I don't know how long ago, uh -huh. maybe eight years ago, yeah, whenever right. it started. I was like, yeah. I'm going to see if that name, because it's an interesting name, you know. Um, but I didn't see anything, you know. Yeah. So, I don't know. But it's so strange, even today, as much as I know it wasn't my fault, there's that teeny bit of shame that just won't ever really leave. And that's and I know it's illogical, but I think that's what most people that have had sexual assaults happen to them in their lives, um, unless it's just like a stranger coming into your house. How is that any, you know, like I was just, in the wrong place at the wrong time. If it's anyone you know or anyone that you have given any attention to, there's that feeling of, I must have, quote, asked for it in some way. And I know that's not true. Right. But, but, it, but it lives in the heart of even the strongest women, I think. Yeah. I am... Um... I will, I will say, yes, I had a stranger break into my house in the middle of the night. So I never felt uh, responsible. I never felt that um, sort of, um, I never felt like I did something to ask for it. I didn't have that um, sense at all. I, I struggled with other things. I struggled with, um, I mean, I was terrified for a very long time. It just lived in fear for a very long time. Um, but like just getting afraid to get out of a car in a parking lot and just like stuck in my car for two hours and just afraid to open the door it's at night and just not just never felt safe and um, the thing that I think uh, I carried with me for a really long time afterwards uh, once I got through fear and sadness and then got to this angry place of like this is now part of my resume. Like, I am a rape victim, and I fucking hated that that was sort of like, 
ironed into my being now. Like, and I felt like that, I just have to live as a rape victim. Like that happened to me and I can never erase it. And that I was really angry about that. Like that was done to me and I can't undo it. And I felt very powerless. Um, and it was through a lot of therapy of my own and a lot of work of my own to be able to let that go. And I have always felt um, strangely guilty that I didn't feel shame because um, I know it's crazy, well, yeah. right? Like it's Nobody wants You're ashamed that you didn't, didn't have, have shame. shame. Yeah, because... So you did have shame, so you should feel good. Right. I mean, I told people immediately I didn't, you know, um, I was afraid I wouldn't be believed. I had that. I was afraid I wouldn't be believed because I didn't look like a rape victim, but I didn't have uh, shame, but I did feel guilty when I would hear people talk about that and think, I don't feel that, and I felt bad about it. That's weird. Colleen, do you have any questions? <sighs> Can I think if I have any? Just, I'm just impressed with all of you guys for being amazing and I would never ever think of any of the three of you as being defined by rape at all mm -hmm. like all three of you are exceptional human beings that like, I never knew that about you I, I was surprised by all three of you when I found that out and even even Porna who I met I met her beforehand I just knew she was doing a show and she was this lovely gorgeous actress and then it was like come see our show because our show's pretty heavy and like we like to watch your show after our super heavy show. And I was like, cool, cool, we'll watch it. And then I'm watching it, and it's like, oh, yeah, they're, they're playing these characters. And it's like, no, 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 these are true stories. Oh, fuck. Like, so, um. Do you want to know something that I, as I was sitting here listening to your story, Porta, I realized that that was not the first time that I was raped, my story. And, um. Jeez. You I, mean just now? Well, uh, my father was was sexually abusive, but I've never called it rape. I've never called it rape. And it is. Do you think do you think that instinct because I have absolutely no idea how I would react in a situation like this, but the part of you that said you'd rather die. Yeah. Do you think that has anything to do with whatever your father did? Ooh, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. I'd have to think about that. That's a very interesting question. Um, shit just got so heavy, guys. I know. <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit. Yeah. Oh, uh, my God. It's, it's so crazy. I've never, I've never said this sentence. Ready? I'm going to say it. I've never said my father raped me. It's hmm. <sighs> a big sentence. Are you prepared to elaborate, or should we leave this on a cliffhanger? I think, I think that's a cliffhanger. I think I right. told a very heavy story, right? Yeah. Um, wow, so we have a... Wait, is that how you end? Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. We Stay tuned. Hey, I've got some stand-up I'd like to uh, do right now. Oh, my God. Uh, we would like our guests to tell us where we can reach them. Porna. You can uh, reach me on the are floor. You any of <laughs> are you any of the social medias? I am. My Instagram handle is oh fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh oh, it's called oh fuck. I think Absolutely. it is. Uh, it's either underscore 
Pornography or pornography underscores. Purna, my first name with the graffiti after. Two O's. Yeah. P-O-R-N-A. Because if you go the other way, it won't be pretty. No. Yeah. And you can <laughs> watch her on the night of. Oh, yes. It was on the night of. And, and playing sad Muslim women. Yeah. In multiple TV shows. <laughs> Cross. Um, and then I'm on a show called Gypsy, which is coming out soon on Netflix. And, is the play um, anywhere? So the play, our last run was in 2015, end of 2015, mm. and um, yeah, we have plenty of talks to make it into um, something else, you know, another form that people can see. And then I literally, the last few days, because um, nearby, me telling my story was kind of my idea. Like, I remember Eve Ensler asked the question, what does justice look like to mm. you? And nearby was my idea of justice for a very long time, mm-hmm. that I could do justice to myself could be true to myself. And suddenly, last few days, I'm on the phone. I found your Instagram. Oh, I'm on the phone with a friend, and uh, now my idea of justice has changed. It's to figure out how to get the fucker out of its address in jail for the remaining you know, years of his life. I don't know how that's gonna happen. Yeah. So he yeah. is free, so you know. I know I mean, he's he done this to other this people. To other people. I know that. And I know no one has spoken about it. Um, we'll just call him Hardas. Just call him that. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm. I'm like, what? What would it look like to confront him and see what? You know, obviously, the statute of limitations is barely there. And yeah. If it was, it expired 400 years ago. But I would love <laughs> for him to see you as an adult, strong, beautiful woman confronting him and what he did. To I just would love to see him in jail. I don't, I don't know how, I don't know how to figure that, that out. It's funny you say that. And I know we're supposed to be doing our shameless plugs at this point. Oh, but shit. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. I can't help it. I, I, no, that's my, new pro- time, that's my summer project. For, I don't give a shit. For a long yeah. time, for a long time, I, I just didn't want to deal with it. Like, yeah. I was glad it was over. I, I had therapy. I had a therapist. I yeah. talked about it. Yeah. I, I was open about it, whatever. Like, But I didn't care. I just didn't want to deal with it. Um, and then um, I got to a place of like, why haven't they caught it? Like, I, I was surprised. And this is like, I, and somebody recently said to me, maybe, because they took DNA, they did a whole uh, rape yeah. kit. Like, maybe, at the time, there wasn't a whole lot of DNA being run. True. That there could still be sitting on a shelf somewhere, and that they might, I might be able to say, like, I'll pay for, you know, if it's a budgetary thing, I'll pay for my own rape kit to be processed. Let's find out. Like, the guy, uh, what I know is that he was young and that he was black. Um... That's really all I know. Um, he was clean shaven. He smelled good. Um, I wonder if he was young. I think he was young because one of the things I kept thinking of when I when I said he was clean shaven was like it's four o'clock in the morning. Who's clean shaven at four o'clock in the morning? Young people. Sixteen, young guys, seventeen right? year olds. Yeah, he's been really um, But now, like I've been thinking recently also about like. I, I want first of all he, he if he did it he may be dead he may already be in jail on other charges he may be that it's seriously scared the shit out of him and scared him straight in that moment I don't know um but you know they they keep DNA of people like yeah like now there's a database I watch they um, might SVU it. you no, watch SVU no I watch <laughs> I watch that <laughs> channel that has all the 48 hours and everything mm-hmm. on it what's it called uh, ID ID yeah. I watch ID like a maniac me too cold case central baby yeah. all right what's your what's your social media handle uh, I 
I'm on Facebook mainly because I'm over 40. Um, so I'm Amy Smallman Winston on Facebook, but then you'd have to friend me and you'd be like, hey, I heard your rape story. I'd like to be your friend. But uh, I also am on Instagram, although I don't really understand it, but I think I'm Amy S. Wins or Amy Wins. Colin's going to look it up. You two are clearly on it all yeah, the time. Same. Yeah, see. Yeah. I post pictures of flowers. <laughs> yes. Spring well, she, flowers. Well, Amy, well, you look up Amy's. My Twitter handle is at Mary Jo LA. I'm uh, Mary Jo Smith on Facebook. My profile is public. Um, maybe it shouldn't be, but it is. And then... Um, uh, okay, so Amy is Amy Swinston. Oh, there we go. Oh, Amy Swinston. And uh, Pornas was the underscores at the end. Got it. So porno- pornography. Pornography underscore. with underscore after the Y. Right Once there. again, not pornography. Mine is at Colleen Smee, C-O-L-L-E-E-N-S-M-I. Ian is at Ian Screams. Chick is at T-Chick Photo. And um, our website is myfirsttimepodcast.net, yes. though we might move over to com. Woo.com. Woo. Yeah, our assets <laughs> become available. Uh, thank you for listening. Yeah. And we'll see you next Happy month. Happy April, and we'll see you next month. Ooh. Oh, and, and uh, I, want to, I want to put something up uh, on the website, um, like uh, a rape hotline or some kind of link. I want to put it up.